We are in a series looking at the attributes of God from Exodus 34. We saw last week how Judaism teaches us that these verses contain the 13 attributes of mercy. And it's really incredible to think through Exodus in this way. To think through these 13 things that God is revealing about himself as attributes of who he is. Now, I told you last week that there were four related reasons why we are looking at the attributes of God. The first was to help us pray. The second is to help us make sense of Advent, the Christmas season. Now, we have two additional reasons that we'll look in the next coming weeks. The third one is to show the sweetness and significance of saying yes to God. And the fourth reason is to help us see God as beautiful and not just useful. So what we're doing each week is is we're pairing one of the attributes of God with one of these four reasons. So last week, we looked at the first two attributes of mercy, the personal name of God, the Lord, the Lord. And we saw how proclaiming the name of God, the Lord, the Lord, helps us pray. And apparently, we broke the internet while we were at it last week. Talk about your cliffhangers, right? I was talking about how annoying it was for things to go unresolved and the feed crashed and it was totally unresolved. But I think the best thing I heard was this, at least you ended on a complete sentence, right? Well, there you go. This week we're going to look at another one of the attributes of God which, like the name of God, is listed twice. In this list, you will notice two times that it says the Lord is a God who is abundant or abiding in kindness or steadfast love, or a God who is keeping kindness or steadfast love. So from our list of related reasons that I just gave you, we're going to look at the second reason, as Josh has already told us, how this helps us make sense of Advent or of the Christmas season. Gary, go ahead and throw that next slide up there just to let you know that there are only 53 days, 14 hours, 4 minutes, and 38 seconds until Christmas. You better watch out. So let's pray together, and then let's look at the text from which our teaching today is based. Let's pray. Father, we delight to open your word today together. And we ask that you awaken our heart, that you expand our mind, and that you shape our identity through Jesus, our Savior, and your Holy Spirit, our teacher, we pray. Amen. So now if you have your Bibles, if you'll read with me from Exodus 34, I'm going to start in verse 5, and here we read, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is God's word. In Exodus 34, 6 through 7, we learn that God abounds in and God keeps steadfast love. 
Now, depending on the translation that you're reading from, you're going to see a different word being used there. You may see the word kindness, or you may see the word love, or you may see the word loving kindness. Now, what does that mean? God is revealing two things about himself right here. God is saying, I am, and this is how I am, abounding in steadfast love. Now, the Hebrew word that's being used here is a word that does mean abound, but it also means numerous or many. God is an abundant source of steadfast love. You know those uh, spring water bottles? You know the marketing campaign that they've got going on? Somewhere on that bottle it will say bottled at the source, which is a lot better than saying bottled at the kitchen sink. And, and what they're trying to tell you is that this water is clean, this water is pure, and by default, there's an unending supply of this. Uh, this is how we can actually look at God's abundance of steadfast love. God is a source. He is an abundant flood. He is a resource without end of steadfast love. The Apostle Paul talks in Ephesians about the immeasurable riches of God. What a great idea. What a great concept. He says that God is working through Jesus Christ so that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen. That this is what God is up to. That this is what God is doing. And so just like the name of God, the personal name of God and God himself, which in many ways is indescribable, the steadfast love of God is immeasurable. It abounds without measure. But notice the second thing that God is saying about himself. He says, I am, and this is how I am, keeping steadfast love. Now, the Hebrew word here for keeping uh, means to keep, to guard, to keep watch over, or to preserve. Think about this. God protects steadfast love. Uh, this denotes something of value. You know those armored cars you see on the road with those company logos that are carrying money from place to place? I see one of those and I think, how do I get that to stop at my house, right? And make a deposit, not necessarily make a withdrawal. God is an armored car going throughout town, going throughout the whole world, protecting and carrying steadfast love from place to place so this week when you see one of those cars proclaim the lord the lord a god abounding in steadfast love and protecting steadfast love now in many ways the book of exodus and the book of ephesians they're telling us the same thing exodus is giving us pictures ephesians giving are giving us principles and so again, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 says that our redemption comes through Jesus Christ and that it comes to us from the riches of God's grace, which, Paul says, God lavishes upon us. This shows that God is extravagantly generous with steadfast love. God preserves steadfast love. God keeps steadfast love. And this final idea is really, really good, especially if you're gardening. So those of you who garden, you know that if your garden is successful, you have to do one of two things, right? And often both. 
you have to give vegetables away, right? Especially the squash, okay? But you can also can vegetables for winter. Canning is a way to preserve food. And the basic principle behind canning is in theory that you will have an abundant supply of salsa in the bleakness of winter. That's the whole idea or the theory behind canning. God is in the kitchen with the apron on and he is canning steadfast love as an abundant supply in the bleakness of your spiritual winter. And I just got a buzz of some sort of text, so somebody's telling me, don't ever do that again. I can just tell you what that means without even having to look at the text. <laughs> the Hebrew word for steadfast love that's used in both instances here is the word chesed. God abounds in chesed. And the word chesed means, well, in many ways, the Hebrew word hesed is an untranslatable word. Now, I've had Joe Clemens on retainer since August, since August, waiting to talk about this concept or this idea of hesed, of steadfast love. And so uh, Joe and I are just going to have a quick little conversation uh, about this particular word. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I mean, we've tried to do this since August, right? <laughs> Indeed. Not the salsa part, Not but yes. the salsa part. That's next. We're going to be doing that next. Uh, and I really love, I appreciate your patience, your generosity. I, each week I kept telling you, man, Joe, I just found something else in the text. <laughs> I want to talk about we're going to get to Hesed later. I was going to say, I was more and more excited, too. I got to build up to it. <laughs> so I want to start by having you talk about you told me, we started, we had a conversation back in August, you know, and I'm like, this guy is excited about the word hesed, about steadfast love. So tell us how your interest in the word came about in the first place. Well, it came about in a weird way. I, uh, I was in Bible college at the time, and a professor was up preaching, and he started talking about how Hebrew words sound a lot like Klingon speaking <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and stuff. And so he mentioned a few words, and uh, he's like, oh, you got words like vapor, which is kebel. And uh, you've got words like loving kindness, which is chesed. And uh, I remember thinking, that's a really long word, loving kindness. What is that? And so I wanted to dig deeper. And so mm -hmm. I went and dug out a concordance, went through Vine's work, just all sorts of works, trying to figure out what is this Hesed word. And uh, I didn't have a big enough shovel to dig yeah. for all, of, all that was in that. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you told me in particular, uh, when we were talking, you mentioned a book by Michael Card. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, as I told you then, I'm a Michael Card geek. I mean, I love Michael Card. I was so disappointed. He, I was like, he wrote a book? Yeah. You know, cause, and then I'm like, he wrote a commentary series, you know, like I thought I was a big fan, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so his book, Inexpressible, I, I read it. It was wonderful. It was marvelous. And here's what he says. Hesed, or, or I guess Hesed, I got to get that. <laughs> Klingon, yeah. yeah, is a concept so rich in meaning that it doesn't translate well into a, singlish, a single English word or phrase. And that's kind of what your experience was, correct? Oh, yeah. Um, for me, as I dug into it, I mean, I really like what W.E. Vine says. Uh, he said in his works that 
you know, if you don't get at three specific things, anytime you're trying to express the word, you're probably missing a little bit, which yeah. is strength, steadfastness, and a faithful love, as it were. Okay, so when we hear the word hesed, which our English Bibles translate as kindness, as love, or loving kindness, or steadfast mm -hmm. love, repeat those again. We have to think of those three things. Can you yeah. say that? Yeah. Strength, strength, steadfastness, steadfastness, and then that faithful love, faithful which love. is where that loving kindness word comes in. Okay, excellent. Okay, one last question. How does hesed then help us make sense of the gospel in general and the Christmas story in specific? So for something like that, I actually remember something um, when I was younger, my aunt and uncle loved to tell me that, uh, and if they ever watch this, I love you, Aunt Sandy and Uncle George. Um, so they, they love to say, you know, I would only want to meet the God of the New Testament. I don't want to meet the God of the Old. He's mean, he's vindictive, he's, you know, all this, these things. And uh, I thought, but that's not God. And so, you know, the more I tried to study, I just, I was looking for, well, how do you convey that these are actually one and the same? Right. And that Hesed word is where I came across that. Hmm. Because, I mean, it's used hundreds of times mm -hmm. all throughout the Old Testament to describe God. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the closest equivalents we could get to it has to do with grace. Right. Which is, of course, what they were going on about in the New Testament. And so it was like, huh. And so, I mean, the further I dug into Hesed, the more, you know, I got into that grace idea, that yeah. steadfast, that strong, that faithful love. And I mean, you know, as Michael Card points out in the book, Inexpressible, um, just these words that are drawn to yes. Hesed. Yeah. And I mean, one of them being emet, which yeah. is truth. Right. And that one, I mean, there's just all sorts of study you can do off of those that, um, I mean, it wraps the whole of the gospel in this one word that's yeah. just used throughout the Old Testament. And um, I mean, especially in describing God himself. Yes. This is one of the number one words it's yeah. gonna use to describe him. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, there's that side of it, but then we get to see this Hesed take on flesh. Take on flesh. And yeah. that, I mean, brings yeah. you right into that Christmas story of what it is to be incarnation, incarnated yeah. and stuff. And so, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating just yeah. to dig into that word. Right. So if you get a chance dig in more, yeah. which you have. Yeah, well, and, and, and then you realize that grace is never mentioned in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. but steadfast love, strength, might, hesed, yeah. and, and it, it's, it's giving us a broad picture of what grace looks like Yeah, uh, for us to understand who God is. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, it's no surprise when God steps into the flesh. Yeah. It's not like a, whoa, this yeah. is a different kind of guy. No, 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 this is <laughs> yeah. the same one from back yeah. there. Yeah, so. uh, that's what I, I love, uh, this whole concept of uh, that unlike any other major religion in the world, our God comes in human form mm -hmm. to die for his people. Yeah. That's great. And the why behind that as <laughs> yeah, well. Exactly. Okay, well, thanks, Joe. Thank you. Appreciate it. We'll talk more later. So Michael Card in his book, he, he gave a definition for chesed, and I I, I try to say that correctly, but it just doesn't happen. Um, and, and that definition really captured my heart. And the definition is this, hesed, or steadfast love, it means someone who has a right to expect nothing is nevertheless given everything. See how good that is? 
someone who has a right to expect nothing is nevertheless given everything. In some ways, Exodus 34, these verses that we're looking at, one of the most important sections of Scripture. Uh, Because God proclaims his name twice, and he begins to proclaim or describe what his personal name means. He says, I am, and this is how I am. So there are eight direct references in the Bible, eight direct references in the Bible about what God is revealing here about himself in Exodus 34, even though the majority of the rest of the story of the Bible finds its origin in what God is saying here. But there are eight direct references from Numbers to Nahum to Nehemiah, from the Psalms uh, to the prophets, from Joel to Jonah. They're all proclaiming this, these exact words of God about his goodness, about his mercy, and his steadfast love. Jonah is a complicated, mystifying prophet. Jonah complains in prayer to God, which is okay. You can, you can complain to prayer in God. That's what our study on Wednesday nights through Habakkuk taught us. But Jonah is complaining in prayer how the Lord is gracious and merciful. That's right. Jonah is complaining in prayer, God, I have a complaint. You are a merciful and gracious God. When Moses heard this revelation that God was gracious and merciful, a God of steadfast love, he begged for the presence of the Lord to be with his people. When Jonah comes face to face with the goodness of God, the God who abounds in steadfast love, Jonah is upset and he's angry to the point of death. He's angry because God is gracious and merciful. He's angry because God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness. Jonah goes so far as to say, I'd rather be dead than stand here and watch you forgive my enemies. It's heartbreaking, right? But our politics have created the same disturbing reality. Which is why I was even more heartbroken to read a new study revealing something that we probably already knew. That now Americans hate people in the opposite political party more than they love their own party. And the study goes on to talk about the disturbing implications about behavior related to this. Yeah, It's disturbing, but it's more heartbreaking, really, because of how this painful truth is even true among those who profess to love God and profess to love others. It shouldn't be that way. This is the personal spiritual quagmire of Jonah. Jonah sees the Ninevites, part of the Assyrian Empire, as political, military, and cultural enemies. The Ninevites had no right whatsoever to deserve anything from God. Nevertheless, they received his mercy. Something Jonah couldn't believe. 
But see, the same thing was true of the Israelites. They had no right whatsoever to deserve anything from God. But that's something Jonah wouldn't believe. And so Jonah says to God, I won't stand here and watch you be who you are, a God of steadfast love, because it's not who I am, and it's not who I want you to be. Given a choice between death and watching God lavish grace and goodness on his enemies, Jonah says, I'd rather not live to see it. Why is it that we want God to come into our life as a God of mercy and compassion, a God of steadfast love and forgiveness, a God who clears guilt, and we want God to come into the lives of others as a God of justice and a God of wrath, a God who does not clear guilt? I think there's at least two reasons for this. First, we don't fully understand the concept of steadfast love. We don't fully understand this idea. And second, we're not allowing the gospel to awaken our heart, to expand our mind, and shape our identity. This is what makes the gospel so compelling. Jonah says, I'd rather be dead than stand here and watch you forgive my enemies. Jesus says, God, I'd rather die than watch those you love perish. Jesus says, I will die so your enemies can be forgiven. Call it what you want. Sin is rebellion against God, which makes us enemies of God. And so on the cross, Jesus died for us that we who were once enemies of God could be reconciled to him. How has God shown his love for us, his enemies? He lavishes his goodness upon us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus lived the life we could not live, and we are saved by his life. Jesus died the death we should have died, and by his death, we are saved from the penalty of our sin. You see? We don't deserve for God to forgive our iniquity to forgive our transgression and our sin. We don't deserve for God to clear us of guilt because we're guilty. And Hesed, steadfast love, comes in and knocks it all down and says, the one who has a right to expect nothing is nevertheless given everything. That's us. That's every single one of us, praise God. We were, as Ephesians tells us, dead in our trespasses and sins. We didn't just walk in sin, we invented new ways to sin. We didn't just casually follow a life of disobedience, we lived in the fullest possible rebellion against God. Our rebellion against God made our online relationship status with God say, enemies. We pursued the passion of our flesh. We carried out the desires of our body and our mind. Whether it's heredity or environment, our selfish desires, our sinful influences, we were, like the rest of the world, like the rest of mankind, children of wrath. We were who we were. 
Ironically, just like God, at one point in our life, because of sin, we could all stand up and say, I am, and this is how I am. And this would have been the end of our story, the end of the story, had it not been for the story of redemption. We deserved punishment. We received pardon. We deserved wrath. We received mercy. Because we are who we are, we deserve death and separation. But because God is who he is, we receive an invitation to life and relationship. I am who I am because he is I am. That's our new status. That's our new reality. That's our new identity. In Christ, we are becoming who we are because of the gospel. And so this is why if you read through uh, the words of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, which mirrors Exodus 34 in so many ways when he says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together in Christ by grace. You have been saved. Amen. We had a right to expect nothing. And nevertheless, we were given everything. A God who abounds in steadfast love, a God who keeps steadfast love, helps us make sense of Advent, the Christmas season. The word Advent simply means arrival. It was used to first talk about the arrival of Jesus into the world, but it's also used to talk about the second arrival of Jesus, which, according to our wall, there may be some question about that. Those of you at home, our arrow showing that Jesus was coming back has fallen down. So there seems to be some tension as to whether or not that's actually going to happen. If you think about it, Advent is a disruption of the status quo. It is. It was a disruption. It was a disruption for Joseph and Mary. Well, more for Mary than it was for Joseph. It was a disruption for the shepherds and the wise men, and Josh can tell you all the names of the wise men. It was a disruption for Herod because his kingdom was threatened. It was a disruption for the families of all the infant baby boys because Herod was threatened. And what might have appeared to be chaos breaking out was God in Christ breaking in. So I say, maybe the best thing for us in a time of disruption is to allow the goodness of God to disrupt our disruption. That's why we're looking at the attributes of God right now. And that's why we're looking at the attributes of God right before Christmas. Because the only way to make sense of Advent, the only way to make sense of the Christmas season is to delight in the goodness of God and his promise through Jesus Christ. God with us means God with you. Jesus, our Emmanuel, he is God with us. Now, think about all the Christmas songs we sang today, a little half-heartedly if you ask me. And think about all the songs we sing about God coming down, about God coming near, about God comes to save. Without a true appreciation of God's goodness, these Christmas songs are just nostalgic relics 
that we pull out along with the tree the light and the ornaments. See, there's an unwritten rule that says you can't play or sing Christmas songs until after Thanksgiving, much less in the middle of July, Chick-fil-A forbid. Bah humbug, right? You know, I mean, I see your bah humbug and I raise you a bah ramu. Here's my point. When you begin to appreciate the fullness of the nature of God, when you begin to grasp his steadfast love, when you understand that the gospel is God breaking in and giving you something you would never earn, never merit, or never deserve, you can rejoice in these songs. You can weep through these songs. You can be moved in astonishment and amazement. You can bow before him and worship him. You can adore him. They're not just Christmas songs. They're gospel songs. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. That's gospel. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled that gospel he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love if you were noticing those were the exact words from psalm 98 that hannah read for us this morning these aren't just christmas songs it's gospel over and over and over Okay, so I was very conflicted with what to share with you today. I was very conflicted because of the realities of our political climate, because of the sadness of our cultural realities. Our cultural realities and political climate leave us with a lot of overwhelmed people. That's just the truth. And so we need hope and we need assurance. We don't just need the sun to come out tomorrow. We need the steadfast love of the Lord, his mercies which never come to an end. We need them to meet us each morning as a new and fresh experience of his steadfast love every day. We could use right now a lavish outpouring of God's goodness. So what are we doing celebrating Christmas today? I just wanted to give you a little splash of comfort and joy. I wanted to overwhelm the overwhelmed with the overwhelming goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, would you overwhelm us with your goodness? Would you work in our hearts so that even when our hearts condemn us, you overwhelm us with your love? Would you surprise us this week with your goodness? Would you show us in some way this week how you are overwhelmingly for us? Through Jesus we pray. Well, I've invited uh, Alicia and Preston to uh, come up and just chat for just a few minutes uh, uh, about uh, Christmas and the gospel. And Preston, have you met Alicia? And Alicia, have you met Preston? Okay, sounds good. Well, listen, have you guys realized that right now we are convening the Preacher's Kid Club? It's a good club. Yeah, this is the Preacher's Kid Club. And I know there's others out there. We'll send you the uh, application packet. Um, and the secret handshake. Uh, Alicia, tell us about one of your most memorable Christmas moments. 
So the first thing that occurred to me when I read that question was long road trips. <laughs> and my, my grandparents lived in West Texas, okay. and I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, oh, until wow. I was about yeah. 11 or 12. Yeah. So our tradition, when they didn't come to us, we would pack up, my parents would put us in the floor of the minivan back when people didn't wear seatbelts so much. The good old days. <laughs> yep, and we would take off at about 4.30 a.m. Uh -huh. And so by the time I woke up, we were a good long ways onto the road and we would count the oil pumps. Yeah, the, the oil there. Uh-huh, yeah, uh -huh. the whole way there. Yeah, yeah. And then usually about eight o'clock at night, we would arrive at my grandparents' house. Yeah. And it was such a big deal because by the time we got there, yeah. you know, they were rushing out the front door. <laughs> we went in, we got to see the piles of presents yeah. under the tree yeah. and carry all our gifts in. So mm -hmm. when I thought about that, I thought, I mean, that's, I don't know if that's a great story, but then I thought yeah. it's all about that yeah. idea of coming, the yeah. arrival yeah. and that reunion yeah. and how Absolutely. powerful that was. No, you were living the Christmas song over the river and through West Texas to grandmother's house we go. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, just all the bare, barrenness <laughs> and openness, and then you arrive, and yeah, exactly. it's all worth it. Oh, that's good stuff, yeah. Now, Preston, I know you're a bah humbug. I know you're anti-anything Christmas before Thanksgiving. Is that correct? It's partially correct. Partially correct. So, uh... Talk about, uh, talk about, uh, now I was too as well, in all fairness, I, I, I was too until I realized, man, we're talking gospel here, and right now we need a little Christmas. So Preston, memorable. Could you Christmas. sing that for us? Yes, we don't have licensing. <laughs> memorable, memorable Christmas moment for you. Um, for me, it's a, it's sort of a, not a, not, maybe not a particular moment, but very similar to what Felicia said. It has to do with the, the fondest moments for me are time spent with my grandparents. Um, so I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, right. so we're 14 hours from my yeah. grandparents in Alabama, um, almost 18 hours from family in Illinois growing yeah. up. And so most of the time that I would spend with extended family was around the holidays, mm -hmm. Christmas time, for example. So that was, that was very, um, those, those moments I cherished, those were very fond moments for me because it was time that I knew was precious because it was time, yeah. that, you know, it, it wasn't like every day yeah. I would get to right. spend time yeah. Yeah. With, with the, that part of the family. It's an interesting thing, right, because you go from Christmas being about the presents to then being about the people. But then when you're with the people long enough, you go back to, hey, let's have a present instead, right? So it can, it can, it can be both ways for that. So Alicia, um, one thing that we're really struggling with, even as a church right now in American culture, is this consumerism idea. Mm -hmm. And so have you ever given any thought about how to balance the consumer view of, Christ of Christmas with the real meaning and purpose of it? So this is a, a challenging question, but I have done a lot of thinking about it since I read your email, and I really think that my approach to this, and that this is maybe a pattern for me, it's more about restraint than okay. action. Right. And so, like, I, I guess, to me, spending more time and energy doing things like gathering in our community yes. here together yeah. and focusing on 
the things that we do when we're with our families. Yeah. Like, I guess just putting my emotional and mental energy into that right. rather than making my own gift lists or doing <laughs> the shopping is, yeah. is maybe the approach I've taken. And, and I think, yeah, I think yeah. it's more about not allowing myself to go down the path of consumerism. So in right. my house, that looks yeah. like pretty minimal Christmas decorations. <laughs> and I like that, that is not as noble as it sounds. It's partly just because I don't really prefer to spend my time doing that or right. don't feel like I'm especially yeah. talented at it. But I really do think I yeah. like it is a, the, the part that's a choice is kind of camping out in the relational side of things right. yeah. when it comes to the people in my life and yeah. also God. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's Christ. You know, that's God with us. He's lavishing us, but he's doing it with presence. You know, not presence, with presence. I think some of the best advice I ever heard as a, as a parent was, it's pointless to give your kids 30, 40 gifts. You know, and especially as they got older, you know. You know, ripping through, on to the next one, ripping through, you know. Find something meaningful. You know, it's hard for a two-year-old, you know, I would guess, but uh, they want to play with the box, right, instead of what you gave them, which is also a win-win. So that's good. Preston, how about you? So I, I think about the difference between, like, giving and receiving. And, yeah. Um, I think that was the, the obvious first answer that came to my mind as well when we were focused more on giving yeah. instead of receiving. But I think that's – I think we also – so I'm not going to go there because that's kind of an obvious given as Christians. <laughs> but to me, the more challenging part is learning how to receive in a way that yeah. honors the gift giver oh, yeah. or in a way that is, you know, because yeah. we're talking about Advent, the coming right. of Christ. Yeah. The challenge for all of us is how do I mm. receive Christ? Yes. Um, how, do I, how do I do it in a way that is not where I don't view it as more like a transactional thing? Yes. I think that's the challenge we get when we're talking about giving mm -hmm. and receiving gifts mm -hmm. with each other is the consumer mindset right. um, is, all, is all about, you know, me, me, me. Uh, but when we have a sort of a giving mindset as a Christian, uh, you know, my immediate go-to if I receive a gift is, oh, yeah. I have to pay back yeah. somehow. How <laughs> am I going to get the, how am I going yeah. to return yeah. the favor or return right. the gift? And, it's, and we start to get this transactional view right. of right. giving and receiving. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's healthy. Right. And I think that when we're talking about Christ, yeah. receiving Christ, it's not a transactional yeah. thing. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a gift that, you know, we, we can't pay that back. Yeah. It's, so learning how to receive with gratitude, yeah. with humility, that's the challenge. That is. That's probably that's a good segue to our last question too. Of maybe a good thing we can do as parents is teaching our kids to receive gifts graciously, you know, and, and generously. So, uh, Alicia, what what thoughts do you have about talking to your kids about Christmas? And um, I think I think it's similar to what I was saying before that I think that making Christmas about the time that we spend with family yeah. and making that what we anticipate, making it about the, the time that we spend praising God and worshiping mm -hmm. God. I think mm -hmm. that right now my girls are in a phase where they love worship songs oh, and good. they love, like, I mean, I think yeah. the, like you said, the Christmas songs yeah. that we sing only around Christmas time are some of the most powerful mm -hmm. worship songs that remind us of what the whole point is that yes. 
God came down and yeah. lived with us. And yeah. so I think that spending time singing those songs, um, I, I look forward to this year. I'm sure at bedtime we'll be singing lots of those Christmas songs. Yeah. Um, and then really spending less time making it about what they want for Christmas. Good. Um, Last year was the first year Josh and I bought our girls Christmas gifts, which might make us horrible parents, but it never occurred to them, and we're like, you know what? It hasn't even occurred to them that we should be buying them things, Good and job. I think yeah. that that's kind of cool that that wasn't really, I yeah. don't know, on their mind. Last year, they're like, are you, what are you guys going to get us for Christmas? So we did. We bought them a few things, right, right. but I guess just not making it about the stuff, yeah. making it about who God is and the community he's given us Good. as a gift. Yeah, great, thanks. Preston? I spoil my daughter, so I'm not a very good person <laughs> to ask this question. Um, I, uh, I guess, though, we, Olivia and I, will model, we try to model yeah. this, you know, everything we're talking about with her as far as, um, you know, modeling kindness to others, modeling service to others. The most recent example that came to mind this, this last week was um, Olivia went to uh, spend a couple days with a friend who mm -hmm. uh, in Texas, friend who um, was going through a, a, a time, troubling time, and so she went down to be with her, and so Auburn Emily didn't really understand exactly, you know, where's mommy, and um, she, uh, two nights ago, she was crying in bed because she wanted to be mommy, mm -hmm. and just at night, and I just explained to her, I said, you know, I think Auburn Emily kind of understood that, and so she um, uh, she she recognized that that was a selfless act. Right. And so right. we tried to model that right. selflessness and explain yeah. to her um, the importance of doing things for others and being yeah. selfless and and giving. And um, I think I think that's the best way we can teach that is through example. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Alicia, thank you. Thank you. Preston, thank you. This concludes the first meeting of the Preacher's Kids Club. <laughs> to the next meeting. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's let's watch one more video together, or sing together, actually, with this last song. <laughs>